Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. I am the ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the Ferryman of Souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tale. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. Binge this season of The Passage now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey guys, Ready or Not 2024 is here, and we here at Breaking Points are already thinking of ways we can up our game for this critical election. We rely on our premium subs to expand coverage, upgrade the studio, add staff, give you guys the best independent coverage that is possible. If you like what we're all about, it just means the absolute world to have your support. But enough with that, let's get to the show. Joining us now is presidential candidate Vivek Ramaswamy, fresh off of his debate appearance in Miami. Vivek, we wanted to get started uh, with something that's been dominating the news cycle. Um, there was a moment there between you and presidential candidate Nikki Haley. Um, you called out her daughter using TikTok despite her criticizing you. There led to a moment where she called you scum. The moderators actually didn't give you a chance to respond. We're going to play that and we're going to give you the chance to respond. Let's take a listen and we'll get your reaction. Well, I, I, I want to laugh at why Nikki Haley didn't answer your question, which is about looking at families in the eye. In the last debate, she made fun of me for actually joining TikTok while her own daughter was actually using the app for a long time. So you might want to take care of your family first. Leave my daughter out of your voice. The next generation of Americans are using it. And that's actually the point. You have her supporters crapping her up. That's fine. Here's the truth. You're just the easy scum. answer is- So what was, your, uh, what was your reaction to that moment, Vivek, and to the kind of a broader ideological disagreement that erupted between the two of you all throughout last night? Yeah, look, I think that there's the ideological disagreement, which I think is more important. Uh, there's a personal dimension to this, at least to her. She's used four-letter words to, to name-call me in each of the last two debates. And you know what, for a Republican Party that has for a long time talked about Hunter Biden or otherwise, I think it's fair game for us to talk about the issues of anybody running for U.S. president. In this case, my criticism wasn't of her family or her daughter, though. It was a criticism of Nikki, out of touch as a generation, to say this is where young people are. And her utter obliviousness or lack of awareness of it was astounding to say that she's going to be sanctimonious, lecturing families across this country about TikTok. It would be a gaping black hole not to observe that even in your own community, even your own family, like so many young people across this country, being on TikTok is not a sin. 
but it's worth calling that out. And that's a hmm. symptom of a deeper ideological disagreement, you're right, that I do have with her. I'm the only free speech absolutist on that stage. People like Nikki Haley, Ron DeSantis as well, advocate for censorship of views that they disagree with. If they disagree with the platform, they think the right answer is for Republicans to virtue signal, not show up on that platform. I view things differently. And I think that this is a symptom of a deeper generational divide in the GOP. Same thing with respect to going to foreign wars that don't advance the American interest. Nikki Haley is on the other side of that generational divide. And the irony is that vis-a-vis -vis Trump, she talks the need for generational change. The way I see it is that she's on the wrong side of the generational change that the Republican Party actually needs. She might have been an appropriate candidate back in 2002 or 2004, not today, out with the Nikki Haley's of the past and on to the future. I want to pick up on that about the censorship. We really want to give you a chance to actually elucidate some of your thoughts. Uh, genuinely uh, very standing out in terms of the rest of the stage. You know, we've had Chris Christie and others saying, you know, this crosses the line from free speech into hate speech. You mentioned uh, Governor Ron DeSantis there uh, banning the students for Palestine moment. Why do you think it's important to speak up on this issue, even though you ideologically believe that some of the statements made have been abhorrent? Oh, I, I definitely believe that many of those statements are abhorrent. And my first message to the rest of the GOP field is, you know, back when I was writing Woke Inc. a few years ago, it wasn't popular to call out the hypocrisies of BLM or otherwise. They were chanting death to America, death to white people, death to Christians. Now they're chanting death to Israel. It's wrong then, it's wrong now. But it is interesting where the people who are on their high horses today, where they were three years ago or four years ago. The deeper point is this, though. We're a country where all, all opinions get to be expressed, no matter how heinous. That's what makes America itself. I mean, the thing that makes America the United States is our First Amendment that says that all opinions go no matter how heinous. So we're not going to fix anti-Semitism by telling people they can't express those opinions. I worry we would make the problem worse, actually, creating a worse underbelly of toxic attitudes. Young people are lost. We need to lead them with actual leadership through example, not through censorship. And the American way is, you know what? We're the country that said the Nazis could march in Skokie. That's the United States of America. That's different than European countries. It's different than other countries around the world. That's what makes America great, though. And you mark my words for a conservative audience to really make the point. If you then, a few years from now, want to go the direction of Ron DeSantis or Nikki Haley and censor views you don't disagree with, what do you think the other side is going to be doing when it comes to somebody who questions the side effects of vaccines? You'll be labeled a bioterrorist. Somebody who says J6 peaceful protesters should be released mm -hmm. from prison or you're an insurrectionist terrorist. Somebody who says that you're a concerned parent showing up at a school board meeting, we're already seeing it, labeled domestic terrorists. So I don't think that censorship should be a partisan issue. The free speech crusade that conservatives have been on, we undermine our own case if we say that it depends on whether you agree with the underlying views. And so are those statements of college campus students and otherwise, or students on college campuses, heinous in many cases? Yes, they are. They're lost and they're clueless about the Israel-Hamas conflict. They don't have the first idea about it. But the right answer isn't to tell them they can't express themselves. That's anti-American. And I think it's unconstitutional when the likes of Ron DeSantis are even calling for using yeah. government power yes. to ban student groups on campus. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. 
It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. Oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed, And to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Oh, hi. I'm Rachel Zoe, and I'm back for another season of my podcast, Climbing in Heels. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as fully obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. My podcast, Climbing in Heels, is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season, we're taking things up a notch. I'll be talking to some incredible women across so many industries, from models and beauty industry stars to doctors, entrepreneurs, and TV personalities. Climbing in Heels is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Every week, listeners will be able to ask me any questions. I'm answering it all. My life is absolutely crazy with so much going on, and I'm so beyond excited to bring you along for the ride. Whether we're talking red carpet looks, current trends, or products I'm obsessed with, I'm here to be your fashion fairy godmother. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Vivek, I want to say, obviously, you and I have a lot of differences. I've really appreciated your consistency on that on this issue in particular, and I think it's been very rare, and it was nice to hear at least one person up on the stage last night articulating a clear vision of why free speech is important. Um, I want to dig in a little bit more to, you know, you said the statements of some college students are heinous. You've said they're abhorrent. Do you think that it's anti-Semitic to criticize the Israeli government? Do you think it's anti-Semitic to criticize Zionism? Um, do you think it's anti-Semitic to call for a ceasefire? So I, I think that we have to be very careful. I'm not one of these people that just sloppily turn, throws around terms. We have enough anti-Semitism that actually exists in the world that we don't need to manufacture more of it. I think more healthy debate on the merits is good. Frankly, look at talk to your friends in Israel, as I have. Many of them are critical of the Israeli government. Many of them are appropriately critical of Bibi. If only the American press and the Republican Party here were as critical of the Israeli administration as 
many Israelis are in Israel, we could actually be having an open and honest debate, as we should. So here's my view. Israel has a right and responsibility to defend itself. And I think it's wrong, forget the individual labels that you would use, but I would, I would call it wrong and offensive to try to create a false moral equivalence between Israel's right to defend itself and Israel's actual defense of its homeland hmm. with the Hamas attacks on Israel, which were subhuman medieval and targeted civilians, drawing any kind of force, false equivalence. As you see in the subtext of even some of the comments from Secretary General Guterres and others, that's dead wrong. So our role as the U.S., I think, should be a diplomatic one at the U.N. or internationally or otherwise, saying that Israel absolutely has the right and responsibility to defend itself. That was the founding vision of Israel. That's what David Ben-Gurion, the George mm -hmm. Washington of Israel, would have said. Heck, that's what I think George Washington would have said if you were in the United States today. But without in intervening militarily into somebody else's conflict, let Israel get their own job done. Okay. Yeah. So just to, want to answer your question a little bit more directly. Sure. I'll talk about, you know, you hear this discussion now coming about Palestinian genocide, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that's, let's, let's just get to the facts, right? I'm not going to use, you know, anti-Semitic labels or anything else. Let's just get to the facts. I find that laughable because genocide refers to the elimination of a race of people. And so you have to contend with the fact that 20% of Israel's population is Palestinian. That's a greater percentage of Israel's population than Hispanics or Blacks of the U.S. population. And probably the place on earth where the Palestinians live the best life in terms of a quality of life perspective and as civic participant citizens is in Israel. So when, when the facts alone speak for themselves that, yes, a lot of these anti-Israeli views on college campuses or elsewhere in Europe or elsewhere are deeply misguided. But we have to do it, if I may say this myself, the way I'm approaching this is win on the facts, win on the arguments, okay. don't silence the expression of the views. So Vivek, I'm sure you know there are international legal scholars who say what Israel's doing right now is a textbook case of genocide. But I, I want to ask you a different question, though. Um, do you believe that Israel is following the Geneva Conventions in there? I don't think any—very few people would dispute they have a right to defend themselves. But do you think they are, and do you think they should be following the Geneva con Conventions and international rules of uh, war as they are, quote-unquote, defending themselves? I do think the nations should follow the rules of international war. I have not seen evidence that they're not following the rules so of international let me, war. Let me offer, let me offer so, some evidence. Yeah. So one of the Geneva Conventions very clearly prohibits collective punishment. Uh, right now you have all of Gaza, all 2.2 million some residents, you know, some Hamas, many innocent civilians, including women and children, who are under a collective siege. So barring you know, water, food, fuel, et cetera, medical supplies, does that not amount to the violation of uh, Geneva Conventions? I don't think so. Those are broad standards, broadly defined. And, and Crystal, I'm, I'm going to answer your question, but I want to be very clear what hat I'm wearing. I'm running for president of the United States, not secretary general of the UN, not president of Israel or otherwise. And I've been very clear that the U.S. should stay out of this militarily or otherwise. I think we have our issues to worry about here at home. And so I'm not going to be one of these Republicans or Democrats that say, hey, write a small check to Israel, but then armchair quarterback what they do or don't do, or Monday morning quarterback the decision afterwards, or backseat driver from here for what Israel should do. I'm not in that camp, and I'm at least consistent about it because I say we stay out in both directions. That being said, you're asking for my opinion, so I'm not speaking my capacity about what I would do as commander-in-chief. You're asking for my opinion. Those are broad standards, and as an observer, here's what I will say. I believe Israel is very clear about moving 
First of all, where they're going to go, ask civilians, give a clear telegraph signal for civilians to protect themselves. I think that it is also telling that other Arab nations, I mean, Egypt initially reluctant, I think that there's a lot, lot of responsibility to go around. And so when I think about this from the standpoint of a leader who would defend the United States, what would we do? We would have to have a clearly deterrent effect. My rule of thumb is if you hit us, we will hit you back 10 times harder. Let me, let's, my rule let's, let's follow America. up on that though. And this is, so this is important. It's fair to allow another country, and it's not even our job to allow or not allow, right? But I'm giving you my opinion. I'm an anti-interventionist. Well, when we, I mean, when we fund them right. so that, with that's the amount of aid to. dollars that we do. So right. for example, right now on the table is an additional $14 billion in so military aid. You're so against, against it that. completely. Yes. Go ahead. Articulate the case. Yeah. And, and, so, and so this is where I want to give you a sense. I'm not in the standard axis here. I'm principled and consistent, you know, if I may say so myself on this, I think, <laughs> which is which is the fact that Israel has a right to defend itself. And I diplomatically stand for that. But this is not our war to fight. And I don't think it's good for Israel. And I don't think it's good for the United States for us to muddy those waters. So my view, I said on the stage, I think last night, there was a lot that went on, but I think I said this on stage, which is, I would tell Bibi, you torch the terrorists, smoke the terrorists on your southern border, and then I'm going to worry about our southern border mm -hmm. in this country, in the United States of America. And you have our diplomatic support to do it over there, and I expect yours as we do it over here, diplomatically. And I'm not going to ask for Israel's military resources to do it, and I'm not going to use ours to do it over there either. And my ultimatum to Iran, which I think will be successful, is you stay the hell out as long as we stay out as well. Let the IDF get its own job done, and that's how we prevent this from spreading to a broader war in the Middle East and, dare I say, even a broader war globally, which I don't yeah. want to see. Absolutely. So and and we is, we, we're not going to be interventionists, but that means in a couple of different directions, we can't just be also armchair quarterbacking what Israel does or does not do. Yes, it's the job of international bodies to look after whether international laws are followed. I'm not running for president of the ICJ. I'm not running for secretary general of the UN. But as president of the United States, I think it's appropriate to provide them a diplomatic iron dome to prevent the UN or the EU from unfairly getting in the way of responding the way we would respond if our own country were hit. Well, to get into that, though, Vivek, as you said, you're talking about Iran. However, uh, we're already seeing indications that Iranian proxies are escalating not just against Israel, but against the United States. So in this case, we've had IRGC elements, or at least reportedly, who've attacked U.S. troops on multiple bases in Iraq and in Syria. We have seen threats from Hezbollah and others to enter the war in those scenarios. So in the one that's real, real world, where U.S. troops are being attacked, how would you respond to those attacks? Yeah. And then secondary, if Hezbollah enters the war against Israel, what would your policy be as commander-in-chief? So a lot there. Let me address the first piece mm -hmm. of that first. Those are good questions. So, so my view is if you hit us, you as a group, okay, like, like the group that hits us, if you hit us, we will hit you back 10 times harder. If you're hitting U.S. troops on U.S. bases, that is not okay, and we will have you pay hell as the consequence of it, the group that actually hits us. This is against a broader backdrop, Sagar, of my view that we should not be in Syria or Iraq in the first place. We were told mm -hmm. that we left or quietly suggested in the American popular understanding of it that we left these places. Now we find out that our sons and daughters are still sitting targets in places that do not strategically advance the U.S. interests. So I'm not going to, you know, that's not a decision I would have made and I would change that in the medium to long run. But in the media, in the meantime, if you hit us and you're that group, we will hit you back 10 times harder. Okay. Now, you got to be careful about the rules of proxy warfare, because then you'll have Republican hawks saying that, oh, that means you go preemptively strike Iran. 
Well, on that theory of proxy warfare, just because Iran is funding some group and then that group does a thing against Israel, then that gives the right to hit Iran. Just think about that logic, say, in Ukraine. On that mm -hmm. logic, that would give Russia a right to hit the United States. That would be nonsense. And on those broken theories of proxy war engagement, that's what provides a path to World War III, which I want to keep us out of. And I believe that staying out of World War III right now is a vital U.S. national interest, especially when our homeland is as vulnerable as it's ever been. And so I would redirect a lot more of our national defense spending, not to random presences in places like Syria and Iraq, but to protecting our own homeland from everything from cyber attacks to super EMP attacks, which, yes, Iran could mount on the United States, taking out an electric grid to nuclear missile defenses, to more basic missile defenses, to basic defenses of our border, to space-based defenses. Nobody's talking about this. This is where the priorities actually need to be. And that's where my world view would be as commander in chief. Okay. Focus on defense of the homeland, stay out of World War III, and let Israel get its own job done, given the diplomatic Iron Dome they need to do it. So, Vivek, of course, the reality is that, you know, the bombs that are being dropped oftentimes on Palestinian civilians at this point are stamp made in America. And I wonder if you worry that this fuels a security concern for our population. And if we're not breeding by allowing this to continue, this indiscriminate response from Israel, if we're not breeding extremism and hatred toward our country that could both fuel, you know, attacks on our troops, but also the type of terror that we experience from Al-Qaeda and ISIS and the like. But that extremism exists whether or not we're breeding it. I do worry about the threats to the United States, though. 70,000 special interest aliens crossing our southern border that were just the ones that were apprehended last year. I mean, the day I visited the southern border about a month ago, the night before, there were two Lebanese men that had just been apprehended crossing. And for everyone who's apprehended, we don't know how many more, but we know there's a lot more that weren't. And so, yes, I think there are serious concerns, but the way we address that foremost is through actual border security which we're missing both on our southern border and our northern border, too. And so I don't think that we're going to convert people who are in of a jihadist mindset out of it. But I also think that we have to be we don't need to be going out of our way to increase those risks to ourselves as well. Okay. So, again, my view, I don't mean to be repetitive here. Let Israel defend itself. We stay out militarily. Yes. I, I think even from a financial standpoint, my general rule of thumb is we're 34 trillion in national debt. We shouldn't be giving foreign aid, certainly new elective foreign aid to any country whose national debt per capita is less than ours. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. <gasps> what? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
I'm Elliot Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true, and I'm not offended by that. Thank you for, for going through those things, and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for deliverance. Every time I have like one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a, in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. <laughs> oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics, in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Last question to you, and this is on the electability front. The last time we spoke to you, you were the number two candidate in the race. We've seen a pretty major poll movement uh, to Nikki Haley and to uh, with Ron DeSantis. You've kind of fallen out of that. What is your plan to uh, close that up and to actually perform in Iowa and in New Hampshire? Yeah, bounce around between number two and number four nationally. The, you know, the reality, if you want to talk politics, horse race stuff, the other candidates, their super PACs have been flooding the airwaves with advertisements. We haven't done that until this week. My own campaign okay. is going to be the one that's actually putting up ads in Iowa, New Hampshire. So we're competing to win. I think we're going to be successful. Nikki Haley hasn't faced the scrutiny. I'm going to just speak a, a hard truth, but I just think it's true. The mainstream media believes, I think, for identitarian and for identity politic reasons, and even the Republican establishment, though they criticize identity politics, practices it all the time. I think that she has been shielded from a form of criticism. I mean, the things she's, four-letter names, she's been using the whole debate stage, but then you throw a criticism in reverse, and uh, suddenly she can't handle it. My view is just because you have two X chromosomes doesn't mean you're immune from criticism for the corruption of selling off our foreign policy and your time in the UN to become a military contractor, to become a on the board of Boeing, who used back, you scratched for years as a governor of South Carolina, collecting stock options in the middle of running a presidential campaign, unprecedented as far as I know. You have Hillary Clinton-style secretive speeches to foreign actors making millions of dollars, going from being bankrupt in debt as a family to becoming a multimillionaire. Republicans criticized Biden for this, but have been carefully delicate about touching this around Nikki Haley and her family's issues. Well, if you're running for president of the United States, I think she's going to get that scrutiny. The media's not giving it to her. I gave it to her on that debate stage, and I'm just getting warmed up. And so I think when people see through that corruption, we're going to have a result here that puts us right back in that number two position, I think, by, you know, between the period between the Iowa caucus and Super Tuesday, and I expect to be the nominee. All right. All right, I got, I got one last one for you. You made a quip about uh, Dick Cheney and three-inch heels last night. Are you a uh, Ron DeSantis heel truther? Yes or no? 
I, I said there's two of them on stage. That's what I said. Okay. All right. All right. How tall are you, Vivek, <laughs> for the record? Uh, I'm uh, just short of six. Okay. All right. Just short of six. There we go. So he's right in line with the uh, with the average. All right. We appreciate you joining us, sir. Uh, thank you very much. Thanks. Appreciate it. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. I am the ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the Ferryman of Souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tale. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. Binge this season of The Passage now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Summon your anticipation for an all-new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. This season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix, May 16th. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop starting May 2nd.